Good morning, uh, Johnson Ferry. It's been a great morning just having our kids uh, help engage, uh, help us engage with the Lord in worship. It's been awesome. And uh, just to see all of you every single week is such a huge, huge blessing. Uh, we're going into our time of Bible study. I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. One of the more famous passages in, uh, if not the New Testament, all the Bible. As you're turning there, let me at least mention that today we had planned on Dr. Albert Muller coming to to preach this morning and then to do an Ask Anything event tonight. Uh, He actually, it was discovered he had blood clots in both of his lungs last week. Uh, Fortunately, uh, they they got that in time and and he is recovering and he reached out to me last night to express his uh, condolences for not being able to be here. So we'll look to reschedule that in the the future, hopefully as, as soon as we can. I thought about doing an Ask Clay, anything event tonight, but I thought for the 12 people who might come, they may not enjoy that. But, um, but we're going to go into Hebrews chapter 11. I'm excited about preaching this passage because it is such, such a great passage. If you're here for the first time, you don't have, you'll have a clue what we've been studying. But for those of you who have been with us now for a little bit, we've been looking at the letter to the Hebrews. You might even call this a sermon to the Hebrews. It's, it, that's probably what it was, it was a sermon. And this book, we have now been in for 18 weeks, and we'll probably be in it for another 10 or so weeks. Uh, It's a book written to people very different than us, which is, I think, why Hebrews can be a difficult uh, book for us to study. First of all, most of us in this room are not ethnic Jews, so we don't feel the tension of the Old Covenant being superseded by the New Covenant. The second reason is that we are not persecuted like those in Hebrews were persecuted. Now, now we may have our own stories to tell, and who knows what's coming in the future. And as we can see, we're already seeing a sort of soft persecution, if you'll call that, settle in in the West, and particularly here in America. For instance, to, to be a follower of Jesus, you might not get that promotion at work. Uh, you might not even get the job. If you're a follower of Jesus, you may not get into that college, into that law school. Your kid may not make that sports team. There there may be things like that that we experience, and who knows what is coming in the future. I don't think any of us will be thrown in jail for being followers of Jesus, but that was the case for those in, in Hebrews. Many of them, as we read back in Hebrews 10, were imprisoned because they had said yes to Jesus. Many of them had family members who no longer talked to them any longer because they said yes to Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews is is writing to a people who to some degree are struggling with all that comes with saying yes to Jesus and encouraging them to keep the faith, to keep looking to Jesus. And, And what's happening in chapter 11 is this beautiful demonstration of the power of faith and how God looks for people to live by faith. So that's what we wanna do. We, we wanna look at this amazing chapter and think about how can we today live by faith in the way that God wants us to do. So today we're gonna study Hebrews chapter 11. As you can see, there are 40 verses filled with so much material, and you're already thinking, oh boy, uh, this is gonna be a 90-minute sermon. Uh, let me alleviate your fears. I can get it done in like 65 minutes. So we're gonna get it done. Uh, no, actually, it won't take nearly that long because we're gonna breeze by stuff 
but it's worthy of your own study. So I would encourage you today, either on your own time or sometime this week, to look at some of the cross-references. Look at some of these Old Testament stories of faithfulness to God and let them encourage you. But let's start by reading verse 39 of chapter 10, because that's where he sets it up, through the second verse of chapter 11. And those are the ones that we'll read publicly. And so if you would, let's stand together. And I want to read for you 1039 through 11.2. And I love he just makes this confident declaration right here at the beginning about this church. He says, but we are not among those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith for the safekeeping of the soul. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen, for by it, the people of old, that means the Old Testament, they gained approval. Father, as we open up your word and study it, we just ask that you would speak to us, Father. Encourage us to be reminded of the power of faith, the requirement of faith, and Lord, the approval that we have when we are faithful to you. God, people come in here this morning with all kinds of stuff on their heart, burdens to bear. Lord, I pray that you administer, convict, inspire, teach, as only you can do through your word, by your spirit. And I'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're talking about faith, and we're going to hear this phrase over and over again, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. The, the goal of this passage is to give the audience, those of us reading it, hearing it, is to give us the reminder of faith and the assurance that we have because of our faith in Jesus. And so if I had to blanket this whole passage with one prevailing thought that I want us to come back to again and again and again, as we think about our own walk with Jesus and the requirement of faith, this is what I would want to say to you. Faith means trusting in Jesus no matter what. Faith means trusting in Jesus no matter what. In fact, I just wonder if you would repeat the second part. I'll say the first, you say the second back to me. Faith means trusting in Jesus. Yeah, no matter what, no matter what you're going through. I don't know what you're going through. Some of you right now are going through a, a big health crisis. Some of you right now have a relational crisis at home. Some of you could be financial. Some of you have a big decision you're trying to make. Some of you are wrestling through some kind of tension in your life. And I wanna remind you today, as this passage will, that as a follower of Jesus, and that may not be true of all of you, maybe you're not all followers of Jesus, but this passage will remind us that, that faith means that we can trust in Jesus. What is it? Yeah, no matter, no matter what. In verses one and two, he begins to describe faith. It's not a perfect definition, and by that I mean you have to look at the whole Bible to really understand what is faith. But this is what he says in verse one and two. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. Those are similar. For by it, the people of old gained approval. Now, this text does not explain all what faith is, but if we had to summarize what he just said, it might be this. And if you want to take notes in your listening guide, you can. Faith is, is this idea. It's the present assurance 
of a future reward. So if we're living by faith, we have this present assurance right now for something that will happen later, a future reward. The the word for certainty, that's how the New American translates it in uh, verse one. Yours may say the evidence of things hoped for. And then it says the proof, those words are are to be translated very similarly. It's interesting that, that when you look at that word, it's an objective word, meaning it's not a subjective thing. We tend to think about faith as like a subjective thing, like I feel this certain way, or sometimes I, I feel more full of faith than I feel these other times, and, and that's a subjective way of looking at it. But here he's talking about evidence. He's talking about an objective sense that faith is something that we get that gives us a present assurance of a future reward. It's like if you, if you buy a house, a car, you, you get a title. And that title says that you own something that is to come. And that's particularly the case for those of us who, who have a house that we can't fully pay off. We, we get a deed that says that we have the present assurance of a future reward. Well, faith is something far more sure than, than a mortgage because mortgages are conditional. Maybe we don't pay the payment. Maybe we don't get the future reward. Well, with Jesus Christ, we're always guaranteed a reward by God, and we can stand on faith. I thought about a, a good depiction of this was from a movie I watched growing up, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Anybody seen Indiana Jones, Last Crusade? I don't know why, this is like the second week in a row I've used Indiana Jones illustrations. In fact, I didn't even know, I didn't even know until last week there was like a new Indiana Jones coming out. Did you know that? It's called like Indiana Jones and the Wheelchair of Death or something. I don't know what it is, but, uh, but you, you may remember this from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, there was this one time where he had to get from this one side of a chasm to another. You can see the picture there, and he has to step out. Now, we see that bridge, but if you remember the movie, initially, there seemed like nothing there, just this vast chasm that if he steps out, he's gonna die. And you may remember the dramatic pause where he has to believe that this bridge is here, and he steps out, and the bridge holds him. And then he's able to walk across the bridge onto his destination. In a sense, that is what faith is. Faith is the bridge. That in Christ, we have a stability. We we have something that we walk on as we run our race, looking to Jesus, as he'll say in chapter 12, as the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he says that by it, the men of old gained approval. God God approves us when we walk and live by faith. That's what he wants us to do today. That's what he wants you to do, live by faith. So let's just start running through this passage and I'll, I'll try to fight my urge to say all things about all these characters, but I wanna encourage you to study it on your own. But he just begins in the beginning of creation and then runs through Israel and into the promised land, and on throughout the Old Testament, all these examples of faith. All right, let's look at these together. We'll start with verses three through five. By faith, we understand that the world has been created by the word of God, so that what is seen has not been made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he was attested to be righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch 
was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For behold, he was taken up. He was attested to have been pleasing to God. So he's just beginning right here in the beginning of the Bible. And he says, by faith, we know that the worlds were created by the word of God. God spoke the worlds into existence. None of us were there. No one was there here in Hebrews. When God created the world, it is by faith that we believe God created the world. And then he goes on to how God dealt with some of the human beings that he created. It's interesting, he skips right over Adam and Eve and he goes to their sons, Cain and Abel. And Abel, as the Bible tells us, offered a sacrifice to God, an offering that God found to be acceptable versus his brother Cain, who did not. And as you remember, Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy and envy for the sacrifice that Abel made to the Lord. Now, I think part of what the author is doing here is he's wanting us to get to Jesus. That doesn't mean that Abel was thinking about Jesus, but the author to the Hebrews wants his people to keep looking at Jesus. And in some ways, Abel is the first martyr of the faith because his life was taken because of his faithfulness to God. So in the same way that Jesus's life was taken because of his faithfulness to God, Jesus was resurrected. So who better to use than Enoch? Remember Enoch? You're like, no, I never heard of Enoch. All right, well, let's talk about Enoch. Enoch was a guy in the Old Testament that we don't know a lot about. We know he lived to be 300-something years old. And the Bible says that he was just taken up to God. Many people think that means he didn't die. No, he died. But God transferred him from one place to another, which is a beautiful picture in some ways of what would come through Christ in his resurrection. All of these, he says, are people who lived by faith. And then he gives a summary statement. And that's one thing I love the author does. It's like, let me give you example after example after devil. Let me just pause and go, okay, y'all with me? Y'all with me? And that's what he does here in verse six. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must do two things. He must believe that he exists and that he proves to be one who rewards those who seek him. So we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God. And that means that presently we believe that God exists. And secondly, we believe in the future that he rewards those who, who seek after him. Do you, do you seek after God? He says he rewards those who seek after God. Now, his rewards happen in his time and in his own way. God knows the difference between a heart that only wants a reward and a heart that wants God. But he wants us to live a life by faith, a life that requires sometimes difficult choices. It seems very fitting today to give a quote by Dr. Charles Stanley, who graduated to heaven this last week. In fact, I was told we're going to his funeral this evening, and I was told by the person who invited us that when Dr. Stanley died the other night, he just went to sleep, and he woke up with Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful way to go? You just go to sleep, and you wake up with Jesus. But he said this, Dr. Stanley, he said, obey God and leave the consequences to him. That's true for all of us. We obey God, understand that he is, and we trust that he has good things in store for his people. Well, let's keep going through the Old Testament, verse seven through 12. We get to Noah, everybody remembers Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark, that's a boat, 
for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world. In other words, God condemned the world by saving Noah and flooding the rest of the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. It took faith to build that boat. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he left not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. We'll see in chapter 12 about this unshakable kingdom, the city of God, whose foundation is the one who created the world. He goes on in verse 11, by faith, his wife, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him, that's God, faithful who had promised. Therefore, even from one man and from one who was as good as dead at that. He's talking about Abram. What a wonderful way to describe yourself. You're as good as dead. All right. They were born descendants who were just as the stars of heaven in number and as the innumerable grains of sand along the seashore. See, What they're probably thinking when they hear that is not what we think. Because he's coming back to this really central idea in the Old Testament, which is a covenant that God made with Abram, who, of course, name would change to Abraham later. And if you remember your Bible, it says that God comes to Abram, this old man, who at the time, I believe, was 75. And he says that I am going to, through you, do three great things. Three great promises God makes to Abram. Anybody know what they are? Number one, he says that through you, I will create a mighty nation. And that's where Israel comes from. You can't even count them. There's so many. That's what God says. Number two, I'm going to give you the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And number three, I'm going to make it so the world will either be blessed or cursed by you and by your seed. And what we see is that in the Old Testament, God keeps his end of the deal, and ultimately, all three of those promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But what he's saying is that Abram had to live by faith, to trust that God was working. So he leaves his homeland, and he goes to a place that was not his home because God promised something better. And then in verse 13 through 16, the author then gives a summary of what Abraham was thinking and what we should be thinking. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. Think about it. Abram in his life never saw the land. He never saw the mighty nation. He never saw all the blessing and cursing. But having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country with they'd left, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, verse 16, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abram left his homeland to go to what he considered to be a better country, and he lived as an exile to do so. Do you think that meant something to the audience in Hebrews? who now feel like exiles in their own town. Their family's not talking to them. They feel like everywhere they go, there's a threat of imprisonment. They've lost jobs, all because they said Jesus is the Messiah. 
And what he's saying is that your patriarch, Abram, he too lived as an exile and a stranger. And you can trust Jesus. What was it? Trust Jesus no matter what. My mother told me about my uh, great, 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 whatever grandfather, Joseph Emmanuel Lyon. He, uh, he came over from England to the United States uh, to fight for the British during, the, during what we would call the Revolutionary War. And he was captured by the Americans in Germantown, Pennsylvania. Now, my grandfather must have been a pragmatic sort because while in prison, he switched sides and began to fight for the colonists. I guess he had found a better country. And he fought for the colonists now and fought for them for years and was wounded at uh, Calpin, South Carolina. They thought he was dead. Someone saw that he was alive and nursed him back to health. Anyways, Back in the day, after America won the war, the colonists won the war, they would grant land to those who had fought for the colonies. And so my grandfather uh, was given land in Lithonia, Georgia, of all places. And so actually one of the oldest farmhouses in Lithonia, Georgia, uh, was built by my great, 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 whatever grandfather. Now, imagine what that was like. You come over here to fight for the British and then you switch teams. Like you, you had on one uniform and then you put on another uniform and now everything's different. Did you know that when we come to Christ, we switch teams? Like before Jesus, our team was the kingdom of darkness. But when we found Jesus, we were now given the kingdom of light. We are exiles on this earth. That doesn't mean there aren't good things about this earth, but we are exiles. Let me just tell you something. If you're not a believer in Jesus and you say yes to Jesus, which is something that we hope and pray that you do, I wanna tell you that you are putting on the away team's jersey. The crowd is not gonna clap for you. The crowd is not cheering you to win the game, but you've got an incredible coach who wants you to walk by faith. Abram was seeking a better country. This author sang to his people who were living in exile, even in their own hometown in Hebrews, hey, you can trust Jesus no matter what. Let's keep going through the Old Testament. Verse 17 through 22, sticking with Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And the one who had promised the promises was offering up his only son. Can you imagine that? It was he to whom was said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. I love this little insert about Abram in uh, verse 19. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Just imagine that. Abraham, God says, I'm gonna make this nation through you, and then God asks you to sacrifice your son. He keeps going by faith, Isaac, so he grows up. Isaac blesses Jacob and Esau, his, his son, Sons, even regarding things to come, by faith Jacob, just, just kind of traveling through the Old Testament here, by faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. He's an old man hair in his bed, and he worships and blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. He said in verse 22, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. What, what he's saying here is that example after example is that when these men of faith died, 
They offered blessings to their children and their grandchildren for what was to come. In other words, they always had this future orientation. Remember we said about faith? Faith is a present assurance of a future reward. And even in death, they were trusting that God had something great for his people. Well, now we get to Moses, who of course is a colossal figure in the Old Testament, verse 23 through 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because he saw, I love this, they saw he was a beautiful child. Have you ever seen a parent who didn't say their child was a beautiful child? Every parent thinks that. Now they may ask you, and isn't he beautiful? And you're thinking, I ain't a beautiful child. But anyways, they think that's a beautiful, because every parent thinks their child is the most beautiful child in the history of the world. I love this. Because he was a beautiful child. <laughs> it says this, that they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking Again, forward to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he persevered as though seeing him who is unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch them. Again, he's tracing the life of Moses, but he was saying that Moses grew up in an Egyptian household with tons of money and influence. Could have been the second most powerful person in the world behind Pharaoh. And yet, Moses took off the Egyptian jersey and put on the Israel jersey. And it said that he chose to identify with the people of God and to bear the reproach of Christ. Now, that does not mean that Moses was thinking about Jesus. But it means that Moses was thinking about this messianic people that God would deliver and save rather than the majority people who were the Egyptians. I just think about my life and your life. How many times, how many times do we hide our jersey instead of bearing the reproach as exiles? You think that meant something to the Hebrews who are hearing this? He's saying it's okay to be an exile. Moses was an exile. Abraham was an exile. These are people, that's what faith looks like. He keeps going, verse 29 through 31. Now we get to Israel coming into the promised land. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after the Israelites had marched around them for seven days. Remember that battle plan of God? Here's what I want you to do to defeat Jericho. All right, God, what are we gonna do? I want you to march around the city seven times. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, that's march around the city seven times. And then march around the city seven times. And what happens? The walls come a-tumbling down, right? By faith, the prostitute, Rahab, did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. She lived by faith. And then in verse 32 to 34, he gives a litany of Old Testament examples. He says, verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me. I guess he's feeling the same thing I'm feeling right now. For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophet. We're going on and on and on. All these Old Testament stories of men and women of faith who by faith, what did they do? They conquered kingdoms. 
They performed acts of righteousness. They obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions. Remember when Daniel shut the mouth of the lion? Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong. In that a statement, it was their weakness, according to the world, that made them strong. It said they became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. These are tales of faith. Also, if we could just maybe take a little pause here. When I hear those names of Jephthah and David, Rahab, Gideon, Moses, Abraham, Sarah, all of them, it's interesting that at the end of their life, they're summarized as people of faith. Now, we read the middle of their story. We know that these are also people, the same people who sometimes had lots of doubt sometimes had a lot of despair, sometimes were very frustrated at life and with God, sometimes made mistakes and tried to manipulate their own success. Remember Abram, God says, I'm gonna give you a child. When it didn't come in Abraham's time, what does he do? He sleeps with his maid so they could have a child their way. These are people like you and me who often wanna take the future into their own hands and control it, and they don't demonstrate faith. Yet at the end of their life, how does he describe all of them? They are people of faith. Aren't you glad that God doesn't reduce us down to our worst moments? Faith isn't always this amazing, happy, joyous adventure. Sometimes faith is this twisting road of confusion and doubt, clinging by a thread to a God who is faithful. Sometimes people think, if I have faith, then my life has to be good all the time. And if my life is not good right now, if I'm dealing with some kind of struggle, then, then maybe I don't have enough faith. In fact, you hear preachers say that. The reason that you don't have that job, the reason that you're not married to that person, the reason that you don't have enough money, the reason that you have cancer is because you don't have enough faith. Well, then how would you tell that to the people he describes in verse 35 through 38? Women received back their dead by resurrection. But listen to this, and others were tortured not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and flogging and further chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. We don't know if it happened, but tradition was that Isaiah, the prophet, was literally cut in half. That's how his life ended. They were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. You think that meant something to the Hebrews? Who are struggling to say yes to Jesus when life is hard. But notice what he says about these people in verse 38. These were people of whom the world was not worthy. When you live by faith, the world is not worthy of you. They're wandering in deserts, on mountains, shelterings in caves, holes in the ground. I think the great reminder here is that even though the text tells us that God rewards those who seek him, the greatest rewards are not gonna be found in this life. We're living for another world. 
And then he makes a summary statement, verse 39 and 40. And all these, who's the these? All these Old Testament people, all these having gained approval through their faith. Remember, that's what it said at the beginning, that, that God wants to approve us through our faith. They did not receive what was promised. Why? Because God had provided something better for us. Think about that. God has provided something better for us so that apart from us, it says they would not be made perfect. You know what that means? It means that these are wonderful depictions of faith, people who trusted in God in some amazing circumstances. But did you know that on this side of the cross, on this side of the full revelation of God in Jesus, we have something better. And they back then could not be perfected with God apart from us. Why? Because we both need Jesus. Which is why in chapter 12, he says, therefore, let's look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Faith means trusting Jesus. <laughs> that was just pathetic. <laughs> kind of caught you off guard with that one, didn't I? Yeah. Let me ask you these three questions. These won't take long to ask, and I would encourage you to really think about these. Not this morning, but to write them down and pray about these this week. Number one, who is your faith really in? Who? I think you got two options. One is God. The other is you. It's one thing to say, I trust in God. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm a person of faith. But when push comes to shove, when life gets stressful, when the crisis happens that you didn't want, didn't ask for, where does your trust go? God or in you? That's why if you've never given your life to Jesus, the first act to receive salvation in Jesus is an act of surrender. It's laying down your arms. It's surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin and, and believing not only that he died on the cross, that he was born and raised again from death, but that he wants to come inside your life and he wants to take over. Who is your faith really in? Number two, how are you demonstrating faith? And here we're just thinking about the present. You say, well, I, yeah, I became a believer 30 years ago. I'm a person of faith. That's, that's amazing. That's awesome. But I'm talking about right now in 2023. If I got to follow you around for two weeks, would I see you demonstrating faith? I'll be honest with you. If you followed me around sometimes for two weeks, you wouldn't see a lot of faith. Are we people of faith? Are we living by faith? When we come against that big decision, we have that fork in the road, we're faced with that trial, that temptation, are we demonstrating this rock solid trust in the Lordship of Jesus, making decisions, action, based on who we know him to be? Faith is not a feeling. You know, faith in one of those things like, you know, I guess I need to go worship with some music so I can be filled with faith. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is a person. And we put our faith in that person's name of Jesus and it changes what we do. A.W. Tozer said this, the Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience 
that does not spring from faith. The two are at opposite sides of the same coin. I wonder if you have drifted into a faithless, obedience-less rut in your walk with Jesus. Demonstrate faith. Thirdly, last question I wanna just ask you, and this is maybe more future-oriented. Where is God asking you to trust him? Where is he asking you to trust him? And this is where across this room, across this campus, all this morning, there's probably been thousands of different answers. Because I don't know where that is. If it's salvation, I know the answer to that. You need to give your life to Jesus. But maybe, maybe you are saved, but God's calling you to do something. God's calling you to give to something financially. God's calling you to to launch out into a new calling, maybe a new career. God's calling you to make a tough decision based on what you know to be the right thing, even when it seems like the world is not supporting you. God is calling you to be a sent one, to go to the nations, and you're struggling to, we could go on all these examples of things God is calling us to do. Where is God calling you to step out in faith? I wanna tell you from this passage and from my own experience, that you can trust Jesus no matter what. You can trust Jesus no matter what. I love uh, that song we often sing, The Goodness of God, that just talks about how God has been so good to us. In fact, I think quoting Psalm 23 when it says that surely goodness and mercy will follow all, me all the days of my life, it talks about how, how your goodness is running after me. I love that depiction. And in that song, it says that, Lord, you have been so faithful. Aren't you glad that God's been faithful to you? I bet each of you can get up here one after one and just talk about how God's been good to you. You can trust Jesus no matter what, because he is faithful. So let us be people of faith. Oh, faithful one. We come to you in prayer right now. And Father, I just pray that you, as you have all morning, would work in the hearts and lives of the people in this room. Some of them are really struggling with a big decision. Some of them, Father, really struggling with getting a sense of what you're calling them to do. Some of them are struggling with just, just routine life, just living as a faithful follower of Jesus. Father, I pray that like all these Old Testament examples, we would be people of faith. Lord God, you've been so good to us. Remind us of the rewards that we have in Christ, many of which we won't experience in this earth, but we're living for a kingdom to come. God, all of our life, you've been so good to us. All of our life, you have been faithful. Thank you, Jesus, for being faithful when we are faithless. May we walk by faith because you are good. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.